I've already briefly touched on, you know, what does it mean as far as God is light? And uh, believe me, I just barely scratched the surface as far as all of that is concerned. Uh, But now what we're looking at is just the opposite, and that is darkness. Uh, What exactly does the Bible um, have to say about darkness? John chapter 1 and verse 5 says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So what exactly is this darkness that did not comprehend the light? So we discovered, first of all, that this darkness is an entity. And that it has a personality, it is a being that possesses power, it has authority, it has great strength. This this entity of darkness is evil, and it's malicious, and it seeks to blind the minds of men to the to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to that true light. So it uh, pr- produces an alternative light uh, and an alternative truth that tickles the intellect of men and just simply leads them into deeper spiritual darkness. So we discovered that this darkness is an entity. We also looked at uh, what I refer to as a natural darkness, a natural darkness that plagues all of us, that plagues mankind. It's, it's, it's a darkness that's not so much a, a, a physical darkness or the absence of a physical light like you know, if the sun is is uh, hidden by clouds, or if you turn the lights off in the room, but it's it's a darkness that's uh, that is uh, something that plagues man, that plagues uh, the philosophers of men. You know, they're groping around with their reason, trying to make things, trying to make sense of things. And it is this natural darkness of men that this entity of darkness preys upon. Uh, it's this uh, natural darkness of men, his his unenlightened reason that this entity likes to, to prey upon and and you know give it uh, alternative truths and alternative alternative religions and so forth all of that designed to uh, keep that man or that woman in this natural darkness that plagues all of us that plagues all of us even those of us who are born again that natural, we gotta be careful of that natural darkness. And it's from this natural reason, this natural darkness that men create a god of their own, a kind of deified peer that's more uh, palatable to their own image and, and an alternative truth that's more acceptable to their minds. That's what, that's the result of this natural darkness that plagues all of mankind. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 23 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's the result of that natural darkness, that natural uh, unenlightened reason. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So if man rejects the only true light made available by God himself, then really what is left to that man? You know, this natural darkness. Proverbs 4, 18-19 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness, and they know not at what they stumble. So there really is no hope for those who choose another light, who prefer their their own light to God's light. And honestly, the only possible outcome for those who love darkness is what? More darkness. More darkness. Matthew 6.22 says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So that tells me right there that there is an alternative to the true light. That people believe is really light, but is actually darkness. So it is, it is something that's real. So instead of natural man becoming more enlightened by reason, they simply go deeper into darkness, into a spiritual abyss, and this is a great, great darkness. So that's the, that's the, the first two. Now the one that we're going to look at today, 
is uh, what I call, and this will be on your worksheet, a willful darkness. A willful darkness. I do. Did you not? You don't have yours? If you lose yours, the next one costs a nickel. All right, I'll owe it to you. <laughs> uh, for you, it's ten cents. <laughs> That's my last one. All right, so a willful darkness is what we're going to look at. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Here's the problem. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So whereas the natural darkness of man is inherent in all of man, all right, due to the fall of Adam, what happens is, what result is, 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 is a willful darkness. As, as can be, deti- as can be ter- determined by the way I title it, it's, it's something that you choose to follow or something that you choose to believe in. Um, so on your study guide, as vainglorious, Vainglorious is your first word, as the natural darkness may be, this willful darkness is, here is a big word, egregious. E-G-R-E-G-I-O-U-S, egregious. So as vainglorious as the natural darkness may be, this willful darkness is egregious. Okay, what in the world is egregious? That's that's a fancy word. Uh, in general, on your study guide, it's a person intentionally committing an act or a mission that involves knowing the violation of law. Intentionally committing an act or a mission that involves knowing the violation of the law. We go back to Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's egregious. That's that willfully, that's that willful darkness. Hey, I know it's wrong, but you know what? I'm having a good time. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Hey, I know it's not right, but you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. And who cares what the consequences are? That's, that's a willful darkness. And that's what, that's why I use the term egregious, because that's exactly the kind of darkness that we're talking about. It's a willful, willful darkness. Kind of like the scientists I talked talk to you about who, re, who reject the proof of intelligent design as they put it. And what is the reason why they reject that proof that they have? Well, for philosophical reasons. In other words, they don't want to admit that yes, there may be the possibility of a God that I'm accountable to. I, I just can't, I just can't bring myself to admit that. I just can't do that. Or the religious elite Gnostics that reject the Bible in favor of their own religious doctrine or their own traditions or their own scriptures. Alright, that's just a willful, willful rejection of God's light. John 4, uh, James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Alright? So that's egregious. You, you know what is right, but you know what? I don't care. I, I really don't care. I'm, huh? What's the last blank? Last blank? Yeah, last Intentionally committing and knowing. Knowing the violation of law. You. You're welcome. 
You know, when Jesus uh, was uh, living on this planet, his teaching, his doctrine, his life, his relationship with the Father, the way he practiced, I'm going to say this, his faith, right? Uh, Even in the way he prayed, all of this, everything about Jesus was a sharp rebuke to the uh, natural darkness of men's hearts. I mean, his light shines so bright uh, that men reacted against it. Some responded to it, but many reacted against it. Uh, why was that? Why do you think that Jesus' life, his light, uh, was rejected? Well, it's because he exposed the hypocrisy of his of these people he he exposed the hypocrisy of their religion the way they lived you know what they believed his light was so bright that it shone the light on their uh willful darkness their hypocrisy his words his deeds his life were a brilliant light of truth and righteousness and love that was a sharp contrast to the lives of those who were and here's your blanks who were unrighteous yet very religious the second blank is who hated those who were not like them but loved the praise of those who were right and your third blank, and this light was found to be, here's a big word, abhorrent. A-B-H-O-R-R-E-N-T. In other words, you could put in objectionable. They objected to Jesus' teaching. They objected to Jesus' claims of being, the, they objected to everything about Jesus. They, couldn't you say they actually found it egregious to the way they were? Yeah. I, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Proverbs 29:27 says, An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So, Jesus was an abomination to these hypocrites. That's pretty wild to think about, isn't it? But wait a minute. Before you were saved, what was your attitude? toward Jesus right? very similar I would guess very similar uh, this is why Jesus used a particular parable in Matthew 11 16 through 19 he says but whereunto shall I liken this generation it is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying we have piped unto you and ye have not danced we have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. You know, this is really no different from the hard attitudes of the hypocrites and the Gnosticism that we face in our own day. You know, as the authorities attempt to address one issue... They come under criticism, and when the authorities try to adjust to that criticism, what happens? It's still not good enough. It's still not good enough. Uh, Honestly, there is no pleasing the woke of our day. There really isn't. And just as it was in the day of our Lord, and there's no satisfying the enlightened, modern, moral Gnostic of our day. You, you just can't do it. In fact, this recent incident in our own area with this um, amusement park, right? Uh, they had that outbreak of, of, of uh, mob rule, this fighting, and uh, so people cried out against the violence. Why doesn't the park do something about this? Well, the park does do something about it, so it starts setting down rules and boundaries, and so what happens now, the park authorities are under the criticism, well, you're just profiling. You're just profiling. You can't win. There's no win. You can't win with these, with this type of person. Enough is never enough, and when it is, it's too much. That's just, that's just the attitude that we live in today. 
these hypocrites of Jesus' day and being exposed to this brilliant light that Jesus was, instead of repenting, instead of examining themselves and repenting, what do they do? They attempt to snuff the light out by crucifying Jesus. Kind of what we're seeing today, folks. Kind of what we're seeing today. That's why cities are burning and that's why there's all this unrest. Jesus' own hatred of sin and the destruction and death that sin has caused in the lives of men was simply incomprehensible to these lovers of darkness. You know, they... It's not different. That's not any different today. When somebody speaks out for righteousness sake, they're condemned for it. They're condemned for it. When somebody speaks against the injustice and the corruption that's going on, they're condemned for it. They're condemned for it. And let me tell you something. More laws do not change the condition of the human heart. I mean, the Pharisees, my goodness, they had over 600 bylaws to the Ten Commandments that God gave them. Did it do them any good? No, it made them, what, what was it Jesus said, twofold, twofold more the child of hell? Yeah, yeah. No, the, the only way that the human heart's going to be changed is by receiving the light that Jesus Christ is. That's the only way that human heart's going to be changed. And even then it, it gets dicey, doesn't it? <laughs> And even then it gets a little dicey with some of us. Men are content in their natural darkness. They're, they're ignorant of their peril. They don't want to hear the gospel, which is the very solution to their darkness and the salvation from their peril. They don't want to hear you preach Jesus to them. They may not always verbalize this, but they truly hate the light that Jesus is because it exposes them to themselves. Bring up Jesus in a conversation and you'll either get a cold shoulder or a root of rebuke or no response at all. You know, when we went out to our community in the neighborhoods to invite folks to Easter service, I approached one man, and before I could take two steps toward him, he stopped me. He says, I don't want to hear what it is you have to say. I don't believe in what it is that you say you believe in. He says, I want nothing to do with that. And he turned around and walked into the house. What can you do? What can you do? Those whose works are evil will not come to the light. They're uncomfortable in the light. Because the light exposes to them what they are. And let me tell you something. Um, not many of us are great enthusiasts to this type of personal exposure, are we? You know, when the light of God's Word rips the fig leaves off, <laughs> that's not a very comfortable position to be in. Not a very comfortable position to be in. That might be the reason why many are prone to believe another gospel rather than the true gospel. You know, the other gospels, they use the same terminology. It may sound spiritual. It may promote family values. Right? It may be moral. It may even exalt Jesus. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's truth. What it could be, more than anything, is just an expression of willful darkness. I'm going to use an example of a predominant religion in our own area. Uh, The Mormon faith, or the Latter-day Saints, or whatever they want to call themselves. So on your study guide, Mormons believe that most people will end up in one of three kingdoms of glory. Here's your blank. Three kingdoms of glory, uh, depending upon one's level of faithfulness. Okay, so right there is a red flag. According to their doctrine, everyone will experience salvation in some way. Okay? And that in the Mormon plan of salvation, there is 12 steps to be completed to acquire the highest level, highest kingdom level. 
what they call the celestial kingdom. And I'm not going to get into all of that. Maybe I will one day if I teach on the cults or something. Only, according to the Mormons, only the most spiritually perverse will go to hell. But generally, most people will end up in one of these three kingdoms. Now, I'm going to quote straight from the Book of Mormon. And this is about Adam. This is straight from the Book of Mormon. This is not my words. It says in the Book of Mormon and 2nd... Nephilim, I think, is the passage, chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, okay? And now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen. But he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created. And they must have remained forever and have no end. Okay, so what's wrong with that? That sounds pretty good to me. I think that's God, that was God's original idea, wasn't it? But it goes on and says, and they would have had no children, which I don't think is true, and they would have had no children, wherefore they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who owneth all things. Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. This It's incredible, Ron. This argument assumes, as the above passage states, it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. Other words, good things cannot exist without their opposites. Is that true? No, that's not true. There cannot be good without bad, life without death, happiness, and joy without misery. According to the Mormon belief, that's just an impossibility. And based on this premise, the Mormon scriptures reason backwards as follows. We cannot experience real joy without also first experiencing misery. We cannot know righteousness and goodness without first knowing sin and evil. We would not be able to change from sin and misery to righteousness and joy if we were already immortal beings. And this is nothing short than the yin and yang of Eastern philosophy where two complementary forces, earthly and heavenly, light and darkness, male and female, encompasses the processes of of the universe. That's really what it is. Therefore, according to Mormon doctrine, we must first be mortal beings experiencing sin and misery before we can become immortal beings experiencing righteousness and joy. Now, there is some truth in that. After the fall... But certainly no truth in that in regards to Adam's and Eve's fall. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you very much, sweetheart. What would they do with that verse? They would deny it. They would try to apply it some other way. That's that willful darkness. That's that willful darkness. In order for us to become these mortal beings, we must be born of mortal parents. In order for our first parents to be mortal, they need to transgress God's commandment. So on your study guide, therefore, according to Mormon theology, our first parents needed to transgress God's commandment in order for us to experience real joy. Now, really, how did that all work out for us? Not too good. It's because of their fall that we are in the state that we're in. By this chain of reasoning, Mormons conclude that it was really a good thing that Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In uh, one of their... Um, I don't know what, what you would call this, theological books or whatever. 
called Gospel Principles. It's it's a book that the Mormons wrote uh, to set forth their doctrines. I'm trying to think of uh, what uh, an equivalent would be for us. But anyway, um, this is this, this is in one of their theology books. It says, Some people believe Adam and Eve committed a serious sin when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. However, latter-day scriptures... That's not the Bible, folks. You understand what I'm saying here? Latter-day scriptures help us understand that their fall was a necessary step in the plan of life and a great blessing to all of us. Mormon, so on your worksheet, Mormons do not believe that Adam and Eve sinned, is your blank, in eating of the forbidden fruit, even though they disobeyed God's command. The book of Moses, which is another Mormon invention, restates God's command not to eat of the bread to allow for this distinction. And this is what it says in the book of Moses, according to the Mormons. Uh, but of the tree of the... Well, let me read Genesis 2.17 in the, in the correct Bible. <laughs> but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt die. Thou shalt surely die. That's pretty clear. This is what the book of Moses, a Gnostic writing states. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And here's the insertion. Nevertheless... Thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee, but remember that I forbid it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You see what they just did there? Yeah. 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 Proverbs 30, verse 5, Every word of God is pure, he's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Joseph Fielding Smith, who is the 10th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he says this, The fall of man came as a blessing in disguise and was the means of furthering the purposes of the Lord and the progress of man, rather than a means of hindering them. He says, I never speak of the part of Eve, I never speak of the part Eve took in this fall as a sin, nor do I accuse Adam of a sin, of a sin. He said, this was a transgression of the law. Wait a minute. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Okay? This was a transgression of the law, but not a sin. (laughs) In the strict sense, for it was something that Adam and Eve had to do. They had to do it. Romans 5.12 through 14, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. I'm sorry, folks. The Bible's very, very clear. Remember what uh, Proverbs said about those who add to the word of God, least thou be shown to be a what? A liar. A liar. Yes, Diane. They contradict themselves all over the place. Yeah. They had to do it. Yet yeah, there above in the book of Moses it says, they, Thou mayest choose for Well, you see, sweetheart, when people start to lie, they create all sorts of problems for themselves, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So contrary to what the Bible teaches about Adam sinning, uh, the Mormon church understand the fall of Adam and Eve um, uh, is perpetuated. He goes on, and the same fellow Tom Perry says, he says, the fall was not a disaster. 
Really. The fall was not a disaster. It wasn't a mistake or an accident. It was a deliberate part of the Lord's plan of salvation. Now, what is that? Remember, we covered this earlier about um, the uh, Calvinists. What was the claim that the Calvinists made about God? That he was the author of what? Good and evil. Bottom line, he was right, but the author of sin. Mm. The author of sin. That's the same satanic lie that God is the author of sin. That's the same satanic lie. He continues, this Tom Perry fellow. As a result of the fall, we are subject to temptation and misery as a price to comprehend authentic joy. That's the price we pay to really understand joy. Without tasting the bitter, we would never be able to understand the sweet. We required mortality's discipline and refinement for the next step of our development to become more like our Father. Doesn't that sound spiritual? But it's a lie. It's a lie. The Mormon church teaches that Christ's atonement secures immortality for virtually all people, whether they believe or not. Whether they believe or not. It is a matter of which of the three kingdoms that the Mormons teach about that you will be permitted to enter into. And you really have to be a pretty perverse individual to end up going to hell, according to Mormon theology. You see why this other gospel would be so appealing to some people? Galatians 1, 6-9 through 9 says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now let me ask you guys a question, and I think you know the answer to this. The founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, where did he, from whom did he receive this revelation? Yeah, Moroni, an angel. An angel. That should be a major red flag, folks. Come on. Yeah, Joseph Smith, uh, this angel named Moroni, I'm so tempted to say something else, uh, came to Joseph Smith informing him that God had chosen him to restore God's church on earth. That is the lie that the Gnostics like to use. Hey, God's given me something to correct what we've had wrong for the past 2,000 years. So on your study guide, Mormons believe that God gives to virtually everyone a general salvation. To immortal life, to, to immortal life in one of the heavenly kingdoms, which is how they understand salvation by grace. So there's a general salvation. Just the opposite of what your Calvinists would teach. On your study guide, belief in Christ is necessary only to obtain passage to the highest celestial kingdom, for which not only faith in Christ is required, but the participation in Mormon temple rituals and obedience to its laws of the gospel these also are prerequisites Um, okay I don't have it but in my um, research uh, Mormons have a 12 step process (laughs) to obtain this celestial kingdom I didn't bring it with me today because I don't have the time to go through it but it's the old Gnostic formula. Works plus faith plus our special knowledge 
equals salvation. It's not faith and grace. It's works plus faith plus our special knowledge equals salvation. That is the formula of every Gnostic teaching out there, folks. Therefore, they willfully reject the light in preference to their darkness. And this darkness is an egregious darkness. Because it overtly contradicts what the Bible clearly teaches. They're presenting their doctrine, their Bible, their whatever, as truth over God's truth. That's willful darkness. That's egregious. I, I refer to the Mormon church because, you know, it's such a big influence in this particular area. But that's true of any of these kinds of religions. It's true of any of these kinds of religions. And it's, it's just a variation of the old Gnostic belief system that John and Paul and Peter and Jude, Jesus warned us about. The Bible is very clear about this matter of willful darkness especially in relation to teaching another gospel and taking the scriptures and adding to or taking away. Revelations 22:18, he says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book God takes his word seriously folks and you start monkeying around with his word you've done crossed the line that's your Charles Taz Russells and your Mary Eddie Bakers and Joseph Smiths and Mohammeds or anybody else that you want to list anybody else you want to list So from this natural darkness of men that prefer their own light to God's light and their willful adding to and taking away from God's word, we come to the next form of darkness that falls upon man. And I'm not going to get very far with this one, but we'll we'll at least start it. And it's what I refer to as a judicial darkness. So that's your blank, judicial a judicial darkness. Is that like three? Uh, yes. Yes. Jeremiah thirteen sixteen says, Give glory to the Lord your God before he caused darkness. Did you read that? Before he caused darkness. And before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains, and while you look for light, he turn it into the dark, into the shadow of death, and make it gross darkness. So who's, who's creating the darkness here? God is. God is for judgment on willful darkness. So, on your study guide, this darkness is a judgment of God upon obstinate, stubborn hearts. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 1. About the men who do not want to retain God in their minds, changing the truth of God into a lie. So what did God do? He gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's judicial darkness. So on your study guide, if men continually reject the light, now understand, we're talking about men who are under natural darkness. We're not talking about the redeemed. Okay, we're not talking about the born-again saint of God. Alright? Because they're secure in their salvation. We're talking about the unredeemed lost man in his natural darkness who chooses to uh, his own light over God's light. 
So on your study guide, if men continually reject the light, deliberately and consistently refuse the light, continually, deliberately, consistently, do you see the pattern here? (laughs) By turning their backs to the light again and again, then God will give them what they want and give them over is the blank to the darkness they love. He'll give them over. This is what is meant by the term reprobate. A person who is reprobate is one that stubbornly rejects truth regardless of what proof is provided for that truth. That's a reprobate. The word reprobate, the word reprobates in the singular occurs four times in the King James. Jeremiah 6.30, it's mentioned twice, 2 Timothy 3.8 and Titus 1.16. And the plural reprobates is mentioned three times in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, 6, and 7. I think it's kind of interesting that chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, <laughs> we have this three mentions of reprobates. The, the English word reprobate comes from the Latin word reprobatus. That literally means to reject. To reject. Jeremiah 6, 28 uh, when Jeremiah was ministering to a stiff-necked people, he writes, They are all grievous revolters, walking with slanders. They are brass and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows are burned. The lead is consumed of the fire. The founder melteth in vain. For the wicked are not plucked away. He calls them reprobate silver, shall men call them, because the Lord hath rejected them. In other words, try as the Lord might, through the preaching of his prophets, because Jeremiah was not the only prophet preaching to Judah, through the preaching of his prophets by calling for Judah to repent, by means of judgment and famine, the Babylonian army was practically surrounding the city. Try what God might, Judah still would not repent. They still rejected God's prophets. So finally, what happened to Jerusalem and the leadership there? They either perished or were sent into exile into Babylon. They were rejected. Try as God might, he could not refine from these people their wickedness. They were reprobate silver. A nation that refuses to repent even when it's very, very clear that God is trying to get their attention. Not unlike our own country. It's very clear if that country refuses to listen, refuses to see the signs of God's calling them back, what is God left to do? Reject them. Reject them. Like the silver that the refiner cannot remove the dross from to obtain that pure metal, that's the way Judah was. That's the way Jerusalem was. They refused to repent. They remained obstinate in their rebellion. They rejected God's call to return. Having first rejected God, God was left with no other recourse than to reject them. You know, one of the things about the about the Jews is their idolatry. Where did God send them? Into a land that was absolutely filled with idolatry. What did he do there? He let them go to a place that they fell in love with. Right? He let them go the way they wanted to go. 
because he couldn't because they will they would not separate themselves from the the, the dross of their unbelief, rebellion, and adultery. So uh, so this is a this is a judicial darkness, a judicial darkness. A form of this same judicial darkness still re- resides on the Jewish people as a nation, even today, uh, due to their rejection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, Christ came with many infallible proofs of who he was, and yet the religious leadership and the people denied and rejected him, and they surrendered Jesus to be crucified. Later on, Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church, uh, preached that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior, but his message was rejected by the Jews. And what did they do with Stephen? They stoned him. They stoned him. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was out uh, after his conversion, when he was out preaching the gospel, where did he, who did he approach first? The Jews. The Jews. He went to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. In Acts 18.4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves, don't miss that. When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he, Paul, shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own hands, heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go on to the Gentiles. So three strikes, and you're out. I don't know if that's biblical or not, but there it is. So due to the rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by Christ himself, by Stephen's witness, by Paul's testimony, they fell under this judicial darkness. Romans chapter 11, that's what Romans chapter 11 is all about. Romans 11.25, for he says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, individual Jews can be and still are being saved by placing personal faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we used to know a Jewish young lady who received Christ as her Savior. Boy, she got a lot of flack from her family. But she received Christ as her Savior as a a Jew. She called herself a completed Jew. I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's what she called That's the way she referred to herself, a completed Jew. But as a nation, for God deals with the Jewish people as a nation. They are a chosen people, right? Of the seed of Abraham. So God deals with Israel as a nation. And you read that all the way through the Old Testament. He deals with them as a, so as a nation, you know, they're in this darkness. They're in this darkness. Does that mean that God is done with them? No. God is not done with them. Because one of these days, as a nation, they shall call upon the name of the Lord and be saved as a nation. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him and one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. There's going to come a day at the end of the great tribulation that they're going to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Romans 11.26 And all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. You see, God deals with his people, the Israel, through covenants. Through covenants. And that day, that covenant will be fulfilled. And I'm going to have to wind it up. This same judicial darkness will fall upon anyone who repeatedly and obstinately rejects the gospel. 
John and John uh, one five through six. First John one, first John five sixteen says, "There is a sin unto death." I think we had a little bit of discussion on this with last Wednesday. Uh, in John's teaching, uh, that sin is unbelief. John eight twenty four he says, "I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins." It's unbelief. This judicial darkness falls upon any and all who willfully and persistently reject the light for another light. There comes a time, and I'm I'm not I'm not one that uh, is so um, arrogant as to go around and point fingers. Well, that person is obviously hopeless. Because I have seen too many cases where I personally thought it was hopeless and yet this person turns around, <laughs> receives Christ as their Savior and becomes a better servant of God than I am. That's not my job. And it's not yours either. I knew a pastor who used to boast that he'd be able to tell whoever was saved after just 30 seconds of talking with that person. To me, that's pretty arrogant. That's just plain arrogant. I leave that up to God. My job is to tell people about the light and pray for that person to receive the light. That's the only thing God ever asks of me and that's the only thing God ever asks of you. But there is a judicial darkness that falls and we'll talk more about that. I'm running out of time and we'll talk more about this uh, judicial darkness in our, in our next lesson. Okay? So you can see a progression, can't you? You can see a progression. And there is a progression in this darkness. But remember, in all of this, there's an entity at work behind all of this. There's an entity at work behind all of this. And it's not God. Okay? It's not God. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the word that we have, that light that you've given us that is to be a guide onto our path, a light onto our way. We're so grateful, Lord God. May we be faithful to your word. May we hold fast to sound words, Father, because there are so many alternative truths out there, so many claiming to have light when they really don't. Thank you, Father in heaven, for that individual that came to me and shared the gospel with me, that, Lord Jesus Christ, you opened up my eyes and I received you as my Savior. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would help me to be faithful to do the same, to be able to share the gospel with others, that they also may see that glorious light that Jesus Christ is. We thank you and praise you in his name. Amen.